Okay, we are live, everybody. Welcome to another Duran live stream. We have Alexander Mercuris in London with us, and we have the one and only Mr. Patrick Lancaster. Patrick, how are you doing today? Um, okay. Um, happy to be here with you guys again. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, but yeah, just been at work doing things that need to be done. <laughs> you're you're going to tell us all about it. And I'm yeah. sure everyone that is watching us is, is very interested to hear what is going on with your uh, line of work, Patrick. So well, we will like it. Yeah. If I mean, there's I guess there's many different angles we, we could uh, start with today. I mean, you know, look at uh, the idea of the Russian or the Ukrainian counteroffensive. We can look at just the facts that are happening today. It seems that in Donetsk today, another escalation, you could say, has, has started just Already today, there's been a, a, a trolley bus uh, hit by Ukrainian shelling. Uh, Ukraine has dropped some of the uh, little small uh, anti-personnel um, pedal mines across the city in different parts. Um, the Olympic Stadium, which thank goodness is the, the authorities don't let it be used for safety. It was hit uh, right on the main ticket office uh, and a fire ensued. And I, as I understand now, they're uh, extinguishing the fire and very many uh, apartment buildings have been uh, hit already today. And that's just, you know, before two in the afternoon local time. So a lot of, well, a lot of things, it, it keeps happening. And, and honestly, unfortunately, this happens in Donetsk just about every month and a half to two months. Ukraine decides to switch their area of targeting where, um, you know, where they're intensely hitting. And just plus or minus every two months, uh, Donetsk really gets hit heavy for a couple of weeks. I mean, regardless, any time during the um, – in the middle time, there's always shelling, you could say, every day, uh, but not as an intense as some uh, times. And it seems and it feels like to me that right now Donetsk is just getting into one of the heavy periods again. I think today's could be kind of the start of it. I hope not, um, but the next days uh, uh, will tell. But as far as my, my exact uh, uh, work, the last... Uh, few days I've been hitting the uh, different front lines uh, hard. Um, I've spent some uh, time with Kaskad uh, Battalion on the uh, Zaporozhye Ugladar front lines and I've been with the uh, Pitnashka Battalion on the Donetsk Evdivka uh, front line and that was uh, pretty interesting. That was uh, the day uh, before uh, we kind of came under some pretty intense uh, uh, shelling. Actually, a Ukrainian drone had, had saw us uh, from above. We were about 60 meters, 60 to 150 meters from Ukrainian positions, and we were just in a part where we had to go from the trenches to another set of trenches, but we were pretty exposed and ended up coming under some in, in, intense um, uh, fire, artillery fire, because the drone was actually above us giving our coordinates to the uh, artillery operators. Um, so yeah, we've definitely in the next couple of days got a lot of good reports uh, coming out that need to be seen by the West. Uh, but, you know, that's just a quick uh, rundown. you have any particular no, questions? Well, well I, I think the first thing to say, because I, it seems to me that, that I, as I understand it, this incident, this really rather frightening incident, and thank goodness you're well, but this frightening incident took place in the Avdevka area. As I understand it, it is from the Avdevka area that a lot of the shelling of Donetsk city is taking place. Is this correct? Uh, um, is this correct? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how it's been for uh, the last, mm -hmm. uh, you know, nine years. Uh, actually, the um, the the Ukrainian forces they take positions in between the Avdevka and near Pesky uh, areas where they still uh, control. But the, for the major part of the nine years, it was Avdevka and Pesky that was launching on uh, Donetsk, and of course down in the Mariinka side. But that's kind of the other uh, side of Donetsk, um, mm. and then just some different fields in 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 the the middle zone. Um, but, you know, and as far as other uh, uh, 
developments. Um, I'm sure you guys have heard about the uh, Ria Nubis, the, the Russian journalist that was killed three days ago. Absolutely. Yeah, I knew him for uh, several years is a, a shame. Um, but unfortunately, we all know the work we're in and, um, you know, it's a horrible situation. Uh, I was actually supposed to go to his birthday party uh, about uh, five days ago, but I was on the front and couldn't make it, unfortunately. But it is what it is. Um, we hope the best for his family. Absolutely. We absolutely do. Uh, uh, and I understand that we're other other people who were wounded in that attack. Yeah. And it was a pretty awful attack. Um can I just come back to this attack, these attacks on Donet City? Because I mm -hmm. mean, what is the purpose of these attacks? I mean, do they have any military reasoning behind them, or are they just intended to sow fear and panic amongst people, or are they intended to tell people in Donetsk, Ukraine is still here, we're still, you know, on your doorstep, we can still shell you, or do they have some kind of military logic behind them? Because uh, you know, I come back if it's to sow panic and fear and to give psychological scares to people in Donetsk. I mean, I think that's appalling. I think these attacks would be wholly wrong. And though I'm not an expert in war crimes law, I would I would guess that they probably are war crimes. But you know, I'm I'm just that's just my view. I mean, what is the purpose of these? Well, I think what it all comes the in the, the the eye of the beholder. Um, I mean, yeah. you could say yeah. that everything you just listed from start to finish is part of the pur purpose. If you ask the local civilians that are in the uh, areas that there's clearly no military targets around, those people that are under the shelling will tell you the Ukrainian forces are doing it to scare them away and make them uncomfortable and create terror as the definition of a terrorist attack. Um, now, as far as impacts on military targets, I mean, of course, we know, you know, there's been many reports that every city, regardless whether it's Kiev, uh, Donetsk, uh, Moscow or wherever, of course, there are military targets in there. But the but when you look at the fact of what's actually being hit, when, there, when a, a trolley bus is being hit like that was hit today, I'm not there on the ground right now. Unfortunately, I'm outside of Donetsk and I couldn't make it to report there uh, today. Uh, but, you know, if, if a trolley bus on the middle of a busy street gets hit, then that's probably not any, anywhere near a military target. Um, if you're talking about the many apartment buildings that got hit as well, not uh, a, a military target. Now, was there any military targets hit? We don't know. Um, it's not something that can really yeah. be um, uh, put out there by either side, but we just know the facts. When civilians yeah. are under shelling and what they have to say about the fact and how they say they've lived under it for nine years and how they're appalled that the Western mainstream media is trying to make the West think this is this has just been this, uh, you know, 16 or 17 month war um, But, you know, these people have been living under this and there's no question that Many of these attacks are, as the definition in, in the dictionary, terrorist attacks by Ukrainian forces to make the people leave. Of course, may, uh, maybe there's uh, military uh, uh, targets happening as well. You know, it's logical that there is, but we can talk about the uh, civilian uh, targets, and it's 100% fact that Ukrainian forces do uh, perpetrate a terrorist attacks on only civilian areas, not by accident. And can I just say the other astonishing thing and very disturbing thing is that this isn't covered in the media at all in the West. I, I Before I started, we started this program, I was checking the British media. I've seen absolutely no reference to shelling attacks in Donetsk City. Um, they would usually be very quickly and, uh, you know, if the media wanted to report it, it does, just, just doesn't get reported. These attacks on Donetsk City happen against a background of complete silence. Can I ask you about what you <coughs> saw in Avdevka? Because we've been hearing an awful lot about the fighting there. It's very difficult to get a clear picture of what's going on. Uh, is it true that the Russians are gradually closing in on Avdevka? I read yesterday that they've managed to bring one of the roads into Avdevka under their fire control? Are they advancing? Is the situation static? Clearly, the Ukrainians are putting up a tough fight there. 
Well, yeah, definitely a big fight. But there's, I mean, it's almost like a, uh, you couldn't really call it a, uh, a cauldron or, you know, totally surrounded yet, but there's definitely, you could call it three sides of, uh, of Devka that are uh, controlled by Russian forces. And yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it seems like a very slow progression uh, right now. Um, but uh, as far as on the ground, on the front line, what I saw with my own eyes was um, somewhat it started, we got there, and it was, for being 60 meters away, it seemed very silent. I expected it to be the whole time very active and everything. But from what the locals uh, or the uh, fighters on the ground, uh, which some of them were locals and some of them were uh, from uh, main uh, Russia, what they told me is that, yeah, the fighting, it goes up and down every day. And when we were there, we were there for an hour and then uh, left. And by the time we left, as I said, Everything just kind of kicked off with uh, a, a automatic gunfire, um, artillery, drones. I mean, it was the whole modern warfare, uh, the thing you could call it. My goodness. I mean, I, I would have thought that would be particularly, just, you know, alarming. There's a period of silence and then sudden, enormous fighting. What is the mood of the soldiers that you were with? I mean, if you can tell us about such things. Um, I mean, were they confident? Were they uh, uh, you know, determined, were they tired, were they demoralized? We hear an awful lot in the West about well, definitely confident. There's no, there's no uh, uh, lack of confidence as far as the Russian uh, side goes, and that goes for the locals from Donetsk and uh, the uh, draft or mobilization soldiers uh, from uh, Russia as well. Um, there's definitely no, no lack of confidence in the fact that when it when the war is over, uh, they view there's no chance that Russia's not going to be on top. Now, the one qu question I asked them, well, okay, what is Russia winning? What does that mean? And for some, it's hard to to answer themselves. What what does it mean uh, when for to have a win for Russia? Um, but I think the bare minimum, my opinion is based more, it's not really an opinion, it's based off of Russian law. Um, as of right now, Russian law, regardless of what the West says, or Ukraine says, Russian law considers, as you know, Zaporozhye, Kherson, Donetsk, and Lugansk all legally part of Russia as far as Russia go, law goes. So there's no way that Russia is going to end this uh, uh, fighting in any capacity unless the bare minimum of Russia fully con controlling all of what Russian law considers Russia, those four regions controlled by Russian forces. I mean, by Russian law, that's the bare minimum that can stop this war right now. Now, what will be above that? Only time will tell us. And how long I, that will be, we don't know. I, I, I would doubt, of course, the top Russian officials, Lavrov, Medvedev, Putin himself, have confirmed that. So, I mean, I, I agree with you completely on this. Um, what, will, what will the feeling be in Donetsk City if Avdevka is eventually captured, which seems increasingly likely? I mean, will that lift the mood there? Will that end the shelling? Well, um, for some parts of the city, it will end the shelling. Not all of it, because the Donetsk front, it's pretty big. I mean, you know, when you look at it from the from the northern uh, area in Evdevka all the way to the southern western area of Medienka, there's there's quite a big sloth of areas that uh, the city can be shelled by, but definitely taking control of Evdevka and the area around there is going to reduce uh, the shelling definitely on the northern part of the city and part of this, uh, the center. Um, but, and then what, once that happens, just kind of, need, they, they'll be going up into Medienka, which Medienka, I mean, it's still under control of Ukraine, but there's basically nothing left besides you know, parking lots for Ukraine to fire artillery from. Um, so both Avdivka and Marienka, it's just a time. And slowly, I mean, this is a slow war of attrition, you could say. And, you know, Russia's pretty good at those wars. Absolutely. That's exactly what they are. Now, you've also been to the southern front lines. And this is, of course, where the great offensive that we've been hearing so much about for months um, has been taking place. What, what was your impressions there? Is Ukraine making any progress? Uh, 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 how, how do the Russian soldiers feel? Lots of 
rumours and talk about all of this in the Western media, but what was your impression of the situation, your overall impression? Are the Ukrainians well, making any progress? Um, every time I asked the soldiers down there what they thought about the uh, the the Ukrainian counteroffensive, this big famous thing that's supposed to be happening, they almost kind of looked at it as a joke, that, uh, saying, well, we don't see, see anything really like that yet, but we're ready for it. Bring it on. Um, uh, so none of the areas I was in had had been recently moved either way. Um, the areas I was in were, you know, pretty much static for the uh, last times. Um, but, you know, and I've been able to talk to many people in both authorities and the soldiers because I was also in the um, – I'm not sure if you saw, but the uh, Zaporozhye nuclear power plants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was a pretty interesting experience to see the new situation there because it had been quite a yeah. few months since we'll, we'll, I was we'll, there. We'll, we'll come to that. We'll come to that directly after <laughs> okay. this. You know, okay. Because I, that's a standalone issue. But to, to tell us about you know the southern front lines. So overall, static Russian soldiers, confident. Uh, because, you know, we're hearing every day, I mean, I was just reading this morning about how the Ukrainians have made small progress. They made some small advances. But if they're very, if they are small, then they must be very small indeed, because the soldiers there themselves don't notice them. Are, are, yeah. are, are, are there many losses? Is this is the a sense of a lot of fighting going on? No, there's right. definitely there's definitely a lot of yeah. uh, shelling uh, going on in not only just the uh, southern areas, but of course the areas around uh, Artyomsk or uh, Bakhmut. I mean, it, it had been very long that the area of Solidor uh, near uh, Bakhmut was um, pretty. Uh, Quiet. I had been there a couple of times, little shelling here and there, but not really a big deal. But now that whole area around there, from what I understand, is under intense uh, fighting. I mean, the whole area is controlled by uh, Russia, but the front, uh, from what I understand, uh, Ukraine is uh, putting a lot of resources as far as artillery and things like that into attacking that area. But Obviously, they haven't taken it back yet. Um, and from what the Russian soldiers say, it's not going to happen and it's not no. anytime soon. Uh, indeed. Let's, uh, let's go to the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant because this has been a massive issue. There's been talk about it in the West. Uh, Grossi and the IAEA have been there. There's been speculations about Ukraine planning some kind of event at the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant, of European leaders calling Zelensky to prevent that happening. Of course, we don't know that this is all true, but that's the rumours. And also rumours on the other side that the Russians have planted mines and bombs on the roof and that they've planted mines all over the building. And also lots of discussion about how secure this, position, this plant is, whether Ukraine can advance across the now empty reservoir. Um, what, what were your overall impressions? Um, well, I was uh, lucky enough, I was able to speak to uh, many civilians on the ground in the city uh, itself and uh, some of the authorities and workers in the plant. Um, one, basically the overall opinion of the locals themselves is that uh, the we can go all the way to the to the dam, the, the explosion of the dam. The work from the words of the locals that live there, uh, one of the actually an engineer, um, he explained how it was Ukraine that blew up the dam and why they did it and how they did it and how he uh, knew they did it. And the overall idea from all the uh, civilians in the city is that why would Russia be trying to blow up a nuclear power station that they've controlled for over a year, and it would just make more problems for their military and their people. Um, and there were literally the civilians living in this city that said that Ukraine says they're trying to help these civilians. Or it laughs at what Zelensky is yeah. says, how ridiculous, literally laughing at his statement saying that uh, Ukraine uh, or Russia was going to make uh, these uh, explosions and try to make a nuclear disaster. Um, so, uh, and then I was able to get inside the plants um, and spoke to the, the head advisor 
of the director of uh, uh, Rus Atom uh, Electric uh, Power Company, the one that's in charge of that now that it's controlled by Russia. And he explained uh, how, as well, how it's so ridiculous, not even to the fact of why Russia would do it, but the fact is, mines on the top of these uh, reactors wouldn't even do anything. I mean, they can withstand an airplane hitting them. That's why they're, that's how they're made so strong. So he's just saying it's, you know, it's just such a, a just a, an attention grab by Zelensky, just trying to get more attention. He, I mean, he, it's kind of like Zelensky saw a lot of the news going to Paris and all, you know, the riots in France. And he said, Oh, we don't want them taking the new, the attention off of us. We need to, say, oh, yeah, nuclear disaster. Yeah, that should get some attention back to us. And, um, you know, I was on the ground. I didn't go on top of the reactors, but, you know, I saw nothing uh, that would indicate uh, any of these um, accusations by Zelensky to be true about what Russia is doing. Um, spoke to one of the workers, and he also explained how the situation worked. And, and one thing I was interested in is uh, knowing because the water – no longer flows directly there, was that going to be a problem? And they actually said it, it, it isn't. Uh, so that was something that was good to hear. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the only uh, uh, kind of possibility for a problem with a nuclear uh, a radiation leak or something like this is, one, if uh, this is from the words of the uh, advisor to the director of the company, if Ukraine launches a dirty missile or dirty bomb to try to show that there's been a leak or something like that. Or if Ukraine targets some of the nuclear waste housing areas near the reactors. Now that wouldn't cause a huge um, a disaster, but it would cause a leak. Uh, so there, there would be some uh, problems with it, but nothing like Chernobyl, for instance. Yes. Um, yeah, so this, that was kind of the overall idea of what I found out there. This is this is this is my own. This is what I've heard as well. And I should add, by the way, that I get the impression that Zelensky's uh, comments about the Zaporozhye nuclear power plant, which many people, even in the West, saw as threats, actually didn't didn't do him any favors. I think it it, it annoyed people in the West more than it actually caused. Uh, support for him. So, I mean, if it was a propaganda game, which I think it was, it didn't work. I think it was counterproductive. <laughs> did you see any Russian military at the power plant? I mean, how securely did the Russians control it? Well, um, I can say at the power plants, I did not. Uh, doesn't mean they're not there. I mean, logically, they should be there. But I can tell you uh, from my past experience uh, uh, being at the plant is it and of course, things have changed now because there's no much, no more water in the uh, river itself. But I assume the, the military positions are generally in the same areas because they can't just go out into the middle of the mud flats now and be totally exposed. So basically, the whole river there around the area is is kind of the front line, you could say, yeah. and the same as on the other side of the river. So it's there's actually a huge gap between the soldiers themselves just because of the river or the mudflats. Yeah. Um, so, but still uh, close enough to, sh to shoot artillery. Absolutely. Is there any, is there any artillery firing? Just to quickly mention that, did you see any, any signs of um, anybody firing at uh, the power plant or from the power plant or anything like that? Um, no, there's many, many places around uh, the city uh, and the power plant that have been destroyed by shelling. Um, you know, I didn't see any actual attacks while I was there, but lots of new, uh, new um, impacts from the last time I was there two months ago. Right. So I mean, there's definitely things happening. How often, you know, you have to sit there and kind of yeah. figure it out. Uh, Overall, what, what is what? Is, because okay, so we've talked about the southern front lines. We talked about Avdevka. We talked about Donetsk. Where else have you been recently, Patrick? Which you could tell us um, about. Well, I was up uh, in uh, the Belgorod uh, area, uh, region of Russia, bordering uh, Kharkov uh, region of Ukraine and the Lugansk Lugansk People's Republic area. The kind of the trifecta uh, there uh, when. Uh, I was there when the uh, RDK, or the um, the supposed uh, 
Russians that are fighting for uh, Ukraine that are Ukrainian citizens, but they're also Russian citizens, which also seems kind of like a, a uh, propaganda uh, tool as well. Um, but I went there and it just so happened to be the first day that I was there was the day that the RDK in Ukraine claimed uh, control of one of these uh, small villages. Um, and so uh, me and the group I was with, we decided let's go, you know, see if that's uh, true. And we went into the village at the time that they said they were in control and it they had just kind of stuck their head in and left for a little bit. And then over the next few days, we documented all of the military or the Western weapons they'd left behind when they were, some of them were killed. And we went to the battlefield. We actually went to the border of Kharkov and uh, Russia. So we were able to make quite a few good reports. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, kind of hard to go through them all right now, but a lot of you, you made you made outstanding reports there, and it was actually extremely useful. Because can I just say again, the media in the West played this up for all it was worth, and one almost got the sense that there was you know huge tank battles going on, and uh, the impression I got from your reports this was nothing of the sort was the case. I mean, it was. It, I mean, I don't want to minimize what happened because people were killed and fighting did take place, but. Certainly, the scale of it was not the way, you know, of, of, as great as what we were led to believe, and certainly not as intense yeah, was, as some of the fighting that you've shown us in other places. Yeah, it was like 15 to 20 people uh, with two tanks and an engineer vehicle that tried to come across. Some of them made it across, uh, and then they stayed for a matter of hours and then got kicked out. The ones that live that in, that is in the you know and the tanks were destroyed. What do the local people feel about these attacks? I mean, is the, is the anger, is the apprehension? Do they uh, criticize their own government for allowing it to happen? Well, uh, I mean, one thing people. Uh, need to understand about this type of situation with Belgorod. This isn't an area that was, you know, recognized as Ukraine or anything like this. This was, you know, Russia, that Ukraine or pro-Ukrainian forces come across into Russia as they're shooting drones into Moscow and other uh, cities. So, yeah, the locals are definitely very unhappy about this and hunger hungry for revenge i mean because there's some of these i mean as far as the you know soldiers actually coming into russia it was very minimized but if you talk about the level of damage of some of the border towns of russia it's heavy I mean, there's no question about that i mean there's these villages there's areas that are destroyed that were not part of ukraine at any time they're russian and ukraine has destroyed them so the I mean, the people are hungry for revenge, for sure. And, I mean, this is also an area not far from where we hear the Russians are now on the attack. I mean, I don't know how up to date you are with all of this, but reports yesterday of a <clears throat> Russian advance across, I'm probably get the name, the pronunciation of the name wrong, the Zherebets River, that they're pushing towards Kupiansk, that they're pushing towards um, Liman. Um, how familiar are you with all of this and how is this connected to the events in Belgorod? Because they, it does seem that Kharkov region, Belgorod region are some, uh, are, are neighboring regions. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I try to do my best to like uh, report on what I see with my own eyes. So yeah, speculation, absolutely. it's not my, absolutely. not my biggest strength, but I, no. what I can tell you about this situation and about Two two and a half weeks. I'm uh, I'm, I'm aware of what's happening in uh, there. So yeah. now my schedule's a bit kind of here and there with uh, what's everything. But in about two and a half weeks, I'm going to be spending uh, some time up in the north up there and really again dig deeper into the situation uh, about what's actually happening and where the new advances are, and hopefully uh, get to some new territories and see. You know what's what really happened, and what the facts are, so we don't have to just, you know, so the West doesn't just have to rely on what Ukraine says happened. Well, indeed, can I just say, I mean, that would be very valuable, because of course, reporting of this part of the battlefront is very poor at the moment from every side. I and mean, we don't actually have 
very much on the spot of report, reporting from any side. The only thing I would, of course, say is, again, be careful. But, you know, if you could provide us with accurate reports about what's going on, yeah, and, really and you know, and it's a shame that on both sides there's not much. Uh, you know, um, every all of the Western journalists they sit in Kiev or Lvov or something and make their reports. You know, and I say in all of my reports, don't just watch my reports. Watch things on both sides. You know, yeah. so because yeah. we're if you're reporting on one side, you're I'm not myself. I can't see what's happening over there. So people need to educate themselves as much as possible to get as many facts, not just opinions. And so that's what I tell my viewers to do. Just get out there and do some work, you know? Hmm. There's been some more general things that I just wanted to touch on. I mean, first of all, um, what about these cluster munitions that we've been hearing so much about and which have created so much outrage, including in the West, by the way? Uh, this is one decision by the administration that cut through, even people who are very supportive of the West's support for Ukraine were upset about this. Uh, have they been used? Are they being used? Are they being used in, a, in Donetsk City at the moment, um, which would be an outrage, by the way. But uh, and, and how do people in on the front lines feel about these cluster munitions? Are they scared of them? Are they angry about them? Um, well, I can tell you, these aren't the fl the first cluster uh, mm. uh, munitions that Ukraine is using. I've been seeing on and off uh, from even the Soviet-made cluster munitions over the last nine years used by Ukraine. But as far as these new uh, 155-millimeter uh, um, shells with, I believe, 70 cluster munitions inside that the United States is supplying um, – I'm not sure if they're fully being used yet. There's different reports about cluster bombs killing people. For instance, the journalist that was killed with the uh, two other journalists injured, the word is that that was done by a cluster bomb. Now, was it a Soviet-made cluster bomb or a United States cluster bomb? Who knows? But I myself, in the last days being on the front, have heard cluster bombs going off. So, again, until I see the piece of the shrapnel in my hand with my own eyes. I can't say exactly uh, where these different cluster bombs were made, but I think that I'm going to be able to find some evidence at some points uh, soon. Uh, the more they're going to be used, I'm sure we're going to see them unfortunately ending up on civilian homes because that's just what Ukraine does. Unfortunately, these, there's no question that these, uh, uh, 155 millimeter cluster bomb munitions are going to be used on civilian uh, areas because why wouldn't they? Ukraine uses the regular 155 millimeter uh, shells on civilian areas randomly. I've seen this. I've shown it in my reports. No question. 155 millimeter supplied by the West fired by Ukraine on civilian areas. So, of course, these uh, cluster bombs are going to end up on civilians. And they drop butterfly mines as well on civilian areas. Yeah. That yeah, means, daily so today and then yes, yeah, today, yeah. which is yeah. which is which is which is which is astonishing. Um, have you? We've I've been seeing reports that more and more Ukrainian soldiers are, are surrendering. That there's been more reports that the that, that, that there's been an uptick in the number of Ukrainian troops who are actually surrendering to the Russians. Did any of the soldiers you were in contact with on the front line say anything about that? Or is this just so far reports rather, you know, from, from media agencies rather than reports on the soldiers? You know, I, I haven't really had too much uh, no. conversations lately with the Russian soldiers yeah. uh, about yeah. that. Uh, I'm sure, you know, it's, yeah. it's happening how many not really sure. I myself kind of tend to shy a bit away from the whole yeah. uh, theme of the uh, POWs because of the, the yeah. gray zone in the Geneva Conventions. You're quite you know? right. To, you're absolutely yeah. right. To, can I just say, uh, and, and the same, the same goes for all of us. I mean, we, and I don't like to comment about what these POWs, when they do appear, actually say, I think that's something I would be very wary of getting getting involved in. And I think you're quite right about talking about gray zones. So what is happening? Are you seeing a big build up? Do you think that the Russians are planning an, a counteroffensive of their own once this offensive runs its course? I mean, obviously, again, 
the Russian military are not going to share their secrets, that the top military leaders are not going to share their secrets. But do the Russian soldiers think that they will be going on the attack before long? They're waiting. You know, it's kind of that's yeah. a, a big answer when you ask, you know, what's going to yeah. happen soon? What, what, what yeah. are the next steps? And they just say they're just waiting for orders. They say we could we could go. We, we, we could push forward tomorrow if we wanted to. But, you know, everything's part of the plan. So we're waiting for uh, our orders because that's what they're sworn to do. Yeah. Is there is there any criticism of the military leadership? Now, I asked this question. I, I mean, you know, I'm sure that Russian soldiers, professionals that they are, will not discuss that very much. But of course, in the West, we hear nothing else. <laughs> we hear all the time about dissensions within the Russian military leadership. That uh, uh, um, soldiers are unhappy with the leadership. That they're demoralized. That they're uh, lacking in equipment. That they're lacking in ammunition. You get any any impression at all of that any any hint of it uh, well you know the biggest impression that you get from when you ask them about um the, the leadership and i specifically asked okay if you had a chance to talk to zelnitsky what would you say and i also a lot of times ask if you had a chance to uh talk to putin uh, what would you say and the overall thing is that they're very uh appreciative of uh putin and and really overwhelmingly believe in his uh, leadership. I mean, yeah. it's really interesting to see two years or a year and a half into this um, war and they still believe in the president very hard. I mean, I know when even when I was in off the coast of Iraq, you know, after being there for a long time, there was, you know, some uh, dissident, <laughs> you could say. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, they seem to be holding fa fairly strong in the uh, the appreciation and believing in and confidence in Putin. Yeah, and um, what about the equipment situation? I mean, does any signs of stress there? Because again, we if you follow the Western media, I was reading yesterday about ammunition shortages on the Russian side. I mean, did you get any? any have you ever had any impression of that as well? That they're Feeding no, well, yeah. I, I can tell you in the, in the last days, I can't say exactly what day it was, and the report's coming out very soon. Uh, I went with the, uh, a tank group and uh, filmed um, a tank group, the whole process from before the orders come to loading the tanks and um, firing the tanks onto mm -hmm. the Ukrainian military positions. Uh, where I was... Definitely plenty of ammunition. Um, and most interesting is there was many uh, Soviet Russian tanks, but there was many captured Ukrainian tanks that I witnessed firing on uh, Ukraine. So it was a mixture of Russian tanks and uh, Ukrainian uh, T-64s, I believe. Um, yeah, and they uh, watched them loaded up. They lo loaded uh, uh, loaded the ammunition, and yeah. we waited some hours until they got the order from the um, commanders to yeah. fire on what positions. And then I, you know, recorded that whole process, and that should be out pretty soon okay. uh, for people to check out. One last, very last question for me, and it's a, it's a, it's one which um, I, I've always been interested in because um, once upon a time, long ago. I did a legal advice uh, set for British soldiers. And one thing that struck me was the distance between a lot of British soldiers and their officers. What is the situation about that in the Russian military? I mean, what is the relationship between officers and soldiers like? Um, well, I would say... More formal, you could say, of course, the higher ups, I mean, you get there and, you know, me being an outside person, but I mean, the fact is at war, you, they don't go around saluting each other for mm -hmm. one because, you know, snipers will shoot, you know, the officers in the eyeballs. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, so it's more of a relaxed thing. But, you know, when, when stuff hits the fan, then, you know, they... The officers give their orders very sternly, you could say, yeah. uh, and uh, and they your orders are definitely followed. Um, but it's definitely more of a 
a, more of a relaxed atmosphere, I could, you could say, overall. Well, that is interesting. So, um, overall, um, heavy fighting going on. How long do you think, this is, this is the last question, how, have you any sense or feeling of how much longer this is going to continue? You know, you know, like like we said, with uh, the you know the four regions needing to be under control by Russian law to end it, you know, I'm thinking not less than a year, not not more than three, maybe. Um, uh, but you know, that's just speculation. You know, it's going being it's being reporting at a couple wars and being yeah. you know an active participants in a war before it's one thing I could kind of understand now is no matter what you think is going to happen in the future, everything could stop tomorrow or it could go forever. So yeah, uh, just happens to whatever is going to be, is going to be. Well, Patrick Lancaster, thank you very much for asking, answering my questions so fully and so thoroughly. The outstanding war reporter from the West in my opinion, in the war. There are some very outstanding Russian reporters and some very good Ukrainian ones too, by the way. But the outstanding reporters, but you are the standalone one as far as I'm concerned from the West. Thank Most you of them, very as much, you correctly Alice. say, they're in, they're in Kiev, Lvov, <laughs> and they give us frontline reports from there. But you are actually <laughs> there on the front lines. I'm going to hand over to Alex uh, um, uh, in case he's got anything to say or wants to pass on any questions. All right, well, well thank you for the questions. Yeah, uh, Patrick, we said we'll go for around uh, 45 minutes to a little less than an hour. Do you have five minutes to go through some quick questions? We've got, got more than that. No problem. Okay. No problem. Okay, great. Take as much let's, as you need. Let's go through this. Brian, thank you for that. Sanjeva says, take care, Patrick, and God bless. Jay Kumar, thank you for that. Super Sticker Ricardo says, terror tactics is a standard NATO practice. Mm -hmm. Gary says, it's good to hear Patrick and Alex and Alex at the Duran. Uh, Jamila says, why is Russia going so easy on Ukraine? I think they should be punished. Why, why is Russia going easy on Ukraine? Jamila asks Patrick. Well, you know, I think uh, you could say the war, the war isn't going quite as was expected from the get-go. Um and possibly, and most likely, a lot of that has to do with the support from the West. I mean, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. The fact that uh, the West has supplied so much weapons uh, uh, to Ukraine has definitely prolonged the ending of this war and, in turn, uh, put many more people in danger and many more lives have been lost because of the uh, support from the West to Ukraine. Yeah. And that's just a fact. Uh, regardless, you, you know, what side you're on or anything like that, there's no one that can legitimately deny that fact. Well said. Yo, thank you for that. Uh, Vinay says, my take is that Putin wants to take the whole of Donetsk and Lugansk along with Kherson, Zaporozhye. They hold and then negotiate Ukraine neutrality. All talk of war moving to Poland. And even though Odessa Kharkiv is not Russian intention. Uh, Patrick, the talk about Poland and entering the war, Odessa, Kharkov. What are your What are your thoughts? You know, I hope it doesn't. Uh, it, Poland doesn't come into this war. Um, you know, I think for world stability, um, this war needs to stop in uh, Ukraine, and obviously. Lugansk and Donetsk, uh, Zaporozhye and her son are going to be, as we said many times, controlled uh, by Russia. Russia won't let that happen any other way. But hopefully it doesn't keep going to the West. Uh, if, if it can end with it, if that, then that would probably be the best uh, thing. And of course, part of the negotiations will be Ukraine uh, not entering uh, NATO as well. So. Yes. Commando Crossfire says, thought, could a reason Russia hasn't made a big advance be to limit the area of major damage? It said it would already take years to clear the mines. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's hard to say. You know, I, I'm more of just a watcher. I'm not a tactical guy, but, you know, I'm just here to show you a, as it goes. 
Let's see here. Paulie says, uh, EU climate Pope Franz Timmermans will be the candidate for the Social Democrats to become Dutch Prime Minister in November election. Thanks. Thank you for that, Paulie. Uh, Sanjin says, one thing I haven't yet found, a good answer to, why is the EU elite continuing its marriage to the USA, to Europe's own obvious detriment? What's the real reason? Thank you so much. We love you guys. Uh, an interesting discussion, but perhaps not. Ricardo says, for Alexander, would you consider writing a book about the history of the conflict from the fall of the Soviet Union to the end of this war? Whatever that to was. The end of the, to, to, to the end of this war. That might be three years away. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Let's see. Dr. Liliana says, uh, question. Zakharova said, journos attacked and one killed by cluster munitions. Journos were investigating attacks with cluster bombs on communities in Zaporozhye. True? Um, I know they were in there working in the capacity of war correspondents. What they were investigating, I don't know. I haven't talked to them uh, personally yet. Uh, um, but yeah, so it's possibly true. Possibly true. Daniela, thank you for that. Elza says a question for Alex. After the SMO, when Olensky will have lost everything, probably his wife too, will you give him back at least the Z, possibly, <laughs> possibly. Let's see, Ivan, thanks for that. Uh, thank you for, thank you everyone as always for J. Scott Six, thank you for that, Atmos, thank you. Paul Walker says, seeing how the Russian troops sweep the area in trenches, then withdraw with ammunition, grenades, and ATGM, I can understand why Alensky needs weapons every week. Mm. Interesting. Thank you for that. Commander Crossfire says, I think the goal of the West at this point isn't victory on the battlefield, but to grind down both Russia and Ukraine as much as possible to cause as much death and destruction before pulling out. Do you agree with that statement? Well, it's, it's, it's definitely, I mean, kind of backs up what I was saying before about just pro uh, prolonging the war. Yeah. Um, let's see. Paul, thank you for that. Valley S, thank you for your work, Patrick. Amazing stuff. <laughs> thank you, Valley S. Alex K says, will Belarus eventually unify with Russia? Isn't this the best way to prevent further Western involvement? Quite possibly. Yeah. I, I would just advise anybody interested in this to watch the interview that Glenn Deason and I did with Ambassador Mirochnik of Belarus. It's on the Durant. And he discusses all those sort of questions very deeply. Rob says, thank you, gentlemen. When do you think the U.S. will tire of fighting the whole world and simply roll over Canada? for the easy tar and water. <laughs> yeah, Rob, Air Station, thank you for that. Commander Crossfire says, Putin said he'd consider granting citizenship to Western war journalists under pressure from their home countries. Would you consider, Patrick? Well, I can say I know a lot of uh, uh, Western journalists have uh, already uh, taken uh, uh, Russian uh, citizenship. And, you know, I think it's, you know, it's kind of a uh, a personal, uh, you know, opinion of what every person is to do and should be thought about uh, carefully. But I know a lot have. Uh, Truth Titan on Rumble says, awesome as usual. Guys, Patrick, you are awesome. Stay true and healthy. Free Gonzalo Lira. Thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Elza says, Patrick, during the last year, is the change in the reactions you get from the West regarding your work? Um, well, you know, actually, you know, since the uh, since February of last year, um, you know, the heat has really been turned up by the Western uh, mainstream media. Been a lot of, you know, false hit pieces and uh, things mm. like this. But you know. That was the first six months of this uh, escalation. I would say in the last year, they've kind of relaxed uh, a bit. Uh, I don't know exactly why, because my work has actually taken off uh, more. Um, I mean, in the last, so in the last, what, year and a half almost, I guess my viewership has uh, reached about almost 39 million. And for the first 10 million of that, the West was really hitting hard. But it seems like they kind of, Got bored or something? I don't know. <laughs> well, 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 can I just say something, uh, Patrick? I know that I know that in some cases they base their reporting, or at least they report things based on some of the things you've said. They don't always do it with in the correct context, and they always and they never give attribution. Never attribute, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, you know, I think I think that they rely on 
accurate reporting sometimes. You, you should issue a copyright. You. You. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, D1 just says, God bless you, Patrick, and all the Russian troops and civilians praying for peace. Thank you for that. Zariel says, please take care, Patrick, and God bless and protect you. Thank you. Amir, thank you for that. Robin, thank you for that. Metal. Max, thank you for that. A few more. JJHW says, does Patrick have any info on Gonzalo Lira? No. Uh, hope hope the best. I mean, of course, it's, you know, any uh, journalist that's uh, held just because of their work, is it's a, you know, a tra uh, travesty to have that happen. Hopefully he can get out soon and, um, and the West can make Ukraine stop persecuting him because of his work. Well said. And from Pupas, thank you very much for that. All right. Those were the questions for you, Patrick, from all our audience that, uh, that is very appreciative of your work and loves and respects you very much. Thank you. Patrick, thank you so much for giving us some of your time on this live stream. We really appreciate it. Any final thoughts, final words, gentlemen? Patrick, Alexander. No, I think it's a huge privilege to us to have Patrick here. As, I said, as far as I'm concerned, the outstanding war reporter. I mean, there, there are brilliant Russian ones, and I, you know, I don't want to detract from that. But uh, as, as a war reporter from the Western side, I don't know anyone else who does the kind of work that Patrick does. And Patrick does outstandingly well. And the fact that they're taking information from you and republishing it in the Western media and sometimes even using your own words, by the way, of course, without attribution. Well, that is the sincerest form of commendation of the kind of work you do. Even they have to acknowledge the fact deep down within themselves that they draw on your work, Patrick, as all of us do. And we're thankful and grateful to you for doing it. Well, thank you very much, uh, guys. I really appreciate you having me. I can't, I'm looking forward to next time. And for any of your uh, viewers that uh, haven't heard of me before, but uh, to find the reports we're talking about, they can find me on um, YouTube, Patrick Lancaster, and uh, Rumble as well, starting to go over there just in case. Good, good. I have all those links, Patrick, in the description box down below, and I will Great. have uh, the links Thanks. to get in touch with Patrick and to follow his work as a pinned comment as well when this live stream is over. Thank you to everyone that was watching us on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, thedurad.locals.com, YouTube as well, also Telegram, and thank you very much to our amazing, awesome moderators. Thank you for so much for all the help. Alexander, those are the uh, the dogs saying it's time to end <laughs> this stream. Take care. Good everybody. timing. Good timing. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.